to Composing Myself, a special podcast series celebrating 50 years of great composers at Wise Music. Presented by Jill Graham and Dave Holly. This is our very first Composing Myself podcast and our special guests today are um, Adam and Paula Pickering from the uh, Daydream Club who are not only writers for Wise Music Group but we're also launching a second podcast at the same time, and that's called, well, actually, Adam, Adam and, and Paul are, are, are hosting this podcast for us. Maybe you should say what, what it's called, Adam. All right, thanks for the intro. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's called Wise Choice, um, and we're basically digital crate diggers delving through the catalogue, the huge catalogue of Wise Music and all its amazing artists and songs and seeing what we can find. So we, th- we thought it would be a fun starting point for, for us to practice our interviewing skills on, on experienced podcasters. There, there are writers, so it fits, fits with our brief, and it's a great way of introducing the, the fact that we've got two podcasts. But enough of that podcast later. Let's start with, with you. Um, good question always is, to, you know, what, what's your earliest musical memories? What, what, what's the, do, you, do you have a piece of music that you remember as being the first that stuck in your mind and has stayed with you? ever since a very early age? Ooh. Well, it would be different for both of us. Do you yeah. have you got one in mind? Because I, I can think of loads. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. This will be the whole podcast yeah. episode then, will it? I mean, I started learning music when I was uh, five years old. Um, obviously not very good at that point, but that's where my journey began. Can't remember much from then. But um, I was tried on guitar, couldn't get on with guitar, didn't do it very well at all. Still wouldn't call myself a guitarist now. I'm a person who holds a guitar and plays it. Um, but keyboard was always my thing. And I think as I got got into it, my uh, piano teacher recognised early on that I wasn't a student that would take well to the theory and practical and grades route. I'd lose interest. And he was right, I think. <laughs> um, so he re- I said to my mum and dad, you should get him a keyboard with loads of buttons and sounds and drums and and that will keep him into it and so he did I, I, I did get one and um I then got into kind of programming my own backing tracks copying other tracks and and one track I really remember because my dad had this tape of uh, Northern Soul because he, he was big into that and uh, I always kind of liked all of that as well I was, I was into all of his story about that and on this tape, there was a track called 24 Hours a Day. Um, I can't remember the artist. Uh, I've never heard it anywhere else. It just exists on this tape. Yeah, and uh, it had quite simple parts, really. And so I, I remember working them out and then recording them onto my little floppy disk uh, MC50 microprocessor thing I had. And uh, yeah, I really, really got into that and then I'd sing over the top. Paul, Paul, what about you? What's the first piece of music that, that you remember going... I like that. Um, well, mine was probably the Beatles. Uh, we lived abroad when I was young, until I was about five. Um, my dad's an engineer, so we used to like travel a lot to different countries wherever he was working on sort of building up the infrastructure for the bridges and the roads. And so we used to have like... I remember when we lived in Kiribati, we didn't like, there wasn't like a massive access to music and things. So we used to have like all these bootleg tape cassettes and we had just loads of Beatles and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it was probably, I was probably brought up by the Beatles. Any particular Beatles song grabbed you early on? Um, I remember 
crying my eyes out at yesterday. I remember getting a real deep uh, emotional connection to that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that, that was probably my my first one as well. It just was. It's such a perfect song, isn't it? I mean, it's almost. I mean, it's been. It's the most covered song ever. I think. I think that's official. Um, and and we're probably almost sick to death of it now. But it's not every song you put on and you just oh. It's yeah. interesting as, from a child's perspective as well, because you obviously don't have the history of it. You don't know anything about it. And, and it just being put on. And I remember like my dad telling me about it and I just got really, really upset and started crying about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've all got a beautiful memory of yesterday, haven't you? And it's great that you've both got um, very clear memories of when you first started getting into music. Okay? When did you each start writing music was that something that came naturally or was it forced on you or tell us about that again going back to my story I, I've always wanted I always wanted to create my own things I think rather than learn other people's stuff it was much later that when we started doing wedding gigs at one point we learned a lot of people's songs but um you know when I was getting my feet I just wanted to make my own sounds so I've always leaned towards that I like to create Mm. Um, inspiring I think when I moved to England I I probably I took a really opposite route to you so I was like the whole grades thing because I was really competitive so I think like I liked that (laughs) but you said that that probably killed it a bit for you eventually it did kill it a little bit because because it sort of killed the creativity element of it for me because I was like classical piano flute and violin and and it I think Doing that way is really good um, in terms of like gaining your theory and your uh, sight reading and stuff, but it didn't leave much opportunity for creativity. And because my mum was a teacher, um, she had like dictaphones everywhere. So I didn't have all the tech set up that you had. All I had was a little dictaphone. So I remember like coming up with my own little composition. Then I'd have to record, go back on my tape and then press record again and sort of overlay. So I'd be recording from one dictaphone to another to layer up all my little yeah, bits. Nice. I did that with mini discs at, really? at uni okay. days. Yeah. yeah. So mine wasn't quite. Each time there. it would get a little bit worse quality. As yeah, well. yeah. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> I need to find those tapes. So it sounds like we need to go take a step into the question you're probably asked all the time, actually. When did you meet or how did you meet? And um, did you immediately start working together uh, as musicians or did you start as musicians and then meet, inverted commas? We were both studying at Lippa, so we were both studying at the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts. I was actually studying dance, so I did all... Uh, my music A levels and things but dance was always my primary focus I'd done RAD ballet since I was like four um done like all my uh advanced levels and everything so yeah that was I got an unconditional to Lipper and sort of went there and that's where I met you I didn't get an unconditional (laughs) (laughs) they made me they made me do a a grade five theory before I could get in so that's where the uh, creative I'm just going to focus on making stuff held me back a bit but I'm glad they did do that because yeah I did uh, I did catch up and then carried on learning more and more theory. But sorry, carry on. No, but yeah, uh, so I was in my second year. Were you in your third year? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we ended up doing like a collaborative project. So it was like a whole multimedia thing. Well, they did a lot of uh, cross-platform yeah. uh, projects. So we did, and they were never in theatres. I don't think I ever got to perform in the <laughs> Paul McCartney Theatre. It was always They were always sending us musicians off to the armpit end of the city somewhere I don't we were know. In a t- a, a, the tobacco factory which 
I think are they converting into luxury flats? It is now luxury flats now, but at the time it was it was kind of derelict. Um, amazing, amazing history building. though. Yeah, freezing cold. It was March, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, just so cold. Yeah, and so you were you were dancing. I was providing the music or sounds. I have no idea how you saw. We were so layered up. We had that many like. We were just like, I, I felt like a walking Michelin man. I was sort of massive with all my layers. I remember my woolly hat and scarf. Maybe on. maybe you thought I was musclier than I actually yeah. am with all my layers on. <laughs> um, the thing is, we're both quite, we're conundrums. I think we're both quite shy. Yeah. But we, as performers, we, we find a confidence somewhere and we can be quite personable, but we're, we're quite shy really. So I don't think either of us really dared talk to each other. <laughs> we spent months on this project both knowing there's a vibe there was it was an silent instant, that, an instant like like actual connection total like yeah strange i've never never had it before well i'd actually i'd actually spotted you prior the year before a month uh, a month before in yeah. a dance performance and i remember logging you thinking yeah she's nice <laughs> <laughs> And then I saw you in tobacco and that was it. I wasn't letting you get away. When, when did that become the day? Were you sort of the daydream club from then or did you sort of go off and do other things and then come back? No, so I was in um, in an electro jazz project at the time. Um, and uh, I mean, I was really proud of that as well. We we did some good stuff. It's kind of where I found my sound. I had a, a setup of a, Fender, a vintage Fender Rhodes and then a, a Korg on top and did like a synth slash Rhodes blend and that was fun. And but, that, um, gigged that around a lot. And now when and... we try and lift the Rhodes up, we just think how on earth it weighs an absolute oh, ton. Yeah. used to tour with that. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> I lost track. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how the Daydream Club be? Oh yeah, that was it. Um, so after pursuing that and then, and that stopped and I ended up uh, being a session drummer for a bit for various pop bands and, um, touring around with that and meanwhile you were doing dance uh, yeah dance with noise, noise ensemble yeah so well I was doing so I'd uh, done initially straight out of uni I was did a contemporary apprenticeship for a year and then after that sort of did some stuff I did some stuff for MTV and BBC I think I was on bargain hunt and random things that you do <laughs> um, as a dancer and uh, and then I was I got this another contemporary contract and we were rehearsing in a studio and someone had spilt water and not cleaned it up. Um, and so we went straight into rehearsals and my leg just went and sort of went sideways. And that was my knee out. I mean, what? That wasn't even, it was quite early really after. I thought you were just getting going with you. Yeah, it was just getting kind good. kind of stopped you at a crucial point. Um, so, and, I, and I took advantage of that crucial point because <laughs> my band had stopped at that point and I said, let's, Let's make something. Let's try something together for once. Because it always, I'd always got Paula to sing on things I was working on anyway. Yeah. Um, so it worked. So that out. was officially Paula's injury was the official start of the Daydream Club in yeah. 2010. We met in 2005, 2000... and that was 2010. Yeah, 2009-10-ish. You two would love to have the opportunity to write for dance. Um, you know, particularly given you know your. Um, foundation in that so any choreographers listening check out the daydream club because there's going to be a big queue of people wanting to use their music that's my plug for that uh, it, talking of your music which i think is has got a truly unique sound i mean how would you describe it Oof. yeah it's changed over the years so when we started out um we actually set off as kind of an electro duo didn't we we were having a lot of synths and 
electronic sounds and building lots of sounds but um and I always loved that I loved that and it was really satisfying actually but then someone at a gig once asked us whether we were playing live and we took offense because <laughs> <laughs> we were like well yeah can't you tell but, yeah so then we thought right well, well no then we ended up doing an open mic mm. just a random one just with acoustic guitar and playing the same songs but acoustically and the reaction was just so different everyone mm. was like oh this is amazing you guys are brilliant and we're like what how can you not see that it's the same thing but mm. um it was because of that reaction we then came out our debut was um was just completely stripped back acoustic i mean it was really stripped back we didn't we didn't have any extra vocals we, or anything it was we, we wanted to be this is how we would sound live it was the this bare bones yeah. absolute bare bones um which was yeah a real a strange debut i think i think it's unusual because it was so unproduced descent. I mean it was like produced but it was wasn't it's crazy how much mileage we got out of that first album I mean it was that album that led to us getting to work with Bobri Acoustic yeah. um, um, and from there you know we grew and grew and each with each album we added more and more sounds and then at one point we decided that we were going to ease off gigging for a bit and then we opened our sounds up to everything that was it. nothing was off the charts that's that- when we did an improvised piano album, which uh, was probably one of our most popular things yeah, we ever did. Our ambient stuff. I think that was really freeing to not have to think about how do we do this live? Because when you're creating so many sounds, just as a duo, it's hard to then take that out without hiring loads of other people in. Yeah. Um, it's like the Beatles with um, Sgt. Peppers. They they suddenly stopped touring and they could actually make stuff they didn't have to reproduce. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't have to think about, okay, we make this and then we have to tour this for so long and, like, before we can start making anything else, we can just make, we can just create stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, we're kind of... freeing. We're kind of wide open. We Generally, with each release or with each track now, we, we set ourselves a bit of a restricted brief of, like, let's see, as a starting jumping-off point, let's just only use this or let's go for this. And that's kind of... It gets the ball rolling. It doesn't necessarily stay that way, mm. but... Yeah, it just keeps. I mean, we got too many ideas and not enough time, to be honest. It's when people say they they struggle for ideas. I'm just like, how? There's so many things you can do. Yeah, it's a very um, passionate approach. I think you have. You can hear that in your music. You know, and I, we're we're always uh, juggling with how to define music that doesn't sit in a particular genre, whether it's folk, classical, pop, neoclassical, whatever that is. Uh, we're still trying to work out what that description is. I mean, do you have a, a word that you describe your? I think freeing is probably it. Hmm. Yeah, eclectic. <laughs> I think I think a, a one that um, Bon Iver uses and Radiohead, who I, I admire and who go across genres, is alternative. Whatever that means these days. I know it used to mean something else, more like grungy rock, but I think it's nowadays alt pop <laughs> or alternative is. But I still don't think we we don't fully we don't fit into fit. that band. No, and I think we confuse things like like Spotify and stuff that like the algorithm doesn't necessarily work on us. <laughs> no. So so if you go to our profile, it recommends listening to to really random stuff because there's so many different what you might class as genres. You, you put them in different boxes, but it's hard. I'm yeah. too I'm too inspired by too many different things to just repeat mm. to, to do the same one again and again 
I don't know. It might it might hold us back a bit by doing that. I don't think it does. You don't? No. Well, I, before before we came on here, I just thought I'll just remind myself of your music. And I just randomly played the thir- first 30 seconds of about 100 bits of music. And nearly all of the words Jill mentioned popped into my head. You know, it, it's, it's very unusual. I, I, the best way to find out is go and have a listen to it. to ask about process uh, about how you work you know where do, where do you work do you work in the room that you're in now for those watching this on video there's a room with green plants a bit like in sergeant pepper's cover actually the sleeve are they marijuana no then <laughs> <laughs> um there's some drums so yeah there's guitars keyboards there's microphones i can see and, and some sort of drum uh, bongos are they a djembe yeah, yeah. Jemba, that's right. Yeah. So is that, is that where you work, and, and is that is that part of your house, or do you do you have to travel to work? No. Yeah. So it's the biggest the biggest room in the house. <laughs> it's yeah. been dedicated to music uh, out of necessity more than anything because, um, yeah, it's just wall to wall keyboards and um, yeah speakers and drums and everything. Yeah. Well, well, when we lived in a flat in Leicester, we um, we had a tiny cupboard room oh, where so we small. just had some keyboards and guitars and because there were so many other sounds around us and to not interfere with other people's lives as well. We mm. used to, I had, the, we had a couple of dress shields that I'd built over the years. Just, you know, why not? Um, and we used to drape duvets over them, make a little barrier, then put a duvet over the top and uh, stick a mic in there. It was so hot. It was ridiculously hot. It was hot. really hot. Because you'd um, have to have a little lamp in as well. And, of and course it was we didn't so have, cramped. It yeah. was like an old school bulb, which got hotter yeah. the longer it was on. So the longer you were in the booth, the sweatier it became. So um, like uh, our, uh, I think it was uh, found our found release, the remix and the original, that was all recorded in there. Mm. And a lot of what was on the album looks is all recorded in that little booth. Um but now we're in this room and, yeah. and this room's got quite decent acoustics. Now we've just got a curtain that we can pull around. Yeah, we've got a ready-made booth, no, yeah. not so sweaty. Um, but but, but our process, I mean, that's just the that's that's the recording techniques. Our process changes all the time. So with with Ambient Project, that was really exploring software instruments and sounds and seeing how much we can twist it and and mutate it into something that kind of takes your mind somewhere else. Do, do, do you work at a particular time of day? I mean, are you morning people or burn the midnight oil? I'm well, for the day. I, I like think. to get up at nine, do a bit of an office day and, and finish and, and, and whatever. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're for the day people. Yeah. I don't think we used to be. Like, obviously, when you're younger, you're for the night. And do you start off with, with melodies or a word or do you start playing with sounds? And how, how, do, how does... How does how how does music appear? That always is one of the most. I don't think anybody's ever explained it well. But you know, how does it appear? Sometimes, sometimes it's just an idea that will come to you. I remember uh, "Home from Home" mm-hmm. started with just a vocal melody, which we were singing. I was, I think, I started singing it in the shower, and then we mm-hmm. recorded it just on the phone and developed it from there, which ended up being quite a, a vocal-driven track with music coming in later. But, um, but then we remixed that completely and then that was just like a whole yeah I guess remixing wasn't so vibe. much creative with the remixes we generally have started with just the vocal and then completely reconstruct from underneath um, sometimes it can just 
find a cool riff on the guitar or stick my hands on the piano and see where that takes us. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember there's a track called Camera off of our latest album, All Our Born Days, and I was just noodling on the piano and I started singing this melody and uh, I stopped and I pulled a face and I was rubbish. But I was like, no, that's great. Do it again. I was yeah. like, no, it's, it's not good. I, I don't like it. Where it's really good there being two of us because like when one will do something that they might disregard, the other one might hear something in it. And yeah, actually yeah. that's really great. Yeah. It's really fun. It, it is good. To you have did that to me with, um, I did that a lot with the piano album as well. Um, with every track I was like, oh. I finish and I'll be like, it all sounds the same. No, it's so, <laughs> so, so that was a, diff- a whole different creative process. For that one, we like hired a, a, a old sort of church hall and they had this nice like clunky piano in there. So that whole album was live. We set up the mics in the room and yeah, just did a whole improv You album. You filmed it all, didn't you? Yeah, and it was all sort of Press live. record and I just started playing whatever came out. And um, um, yeah, yeah, I felt so like I was just repeating different. myself, but you were like, no, these are They're all so great. so different. They're so unique. But yeah, it's so it totally different the creative process depending on yeah I guess that first note that we do. I think the, the key thing is that we always make sure or try to make sure that underneath it all, whatever layers we add, there's a good solid song. Mm. If we can play it with just piano and voice, then there's something there. Mm. And it sounds like you both act as producers for one another. You know, Paula, you saying, you know, when uh, Adam was uh, improvising, you'd ask him to hang on to stuff or not hang on to stuff and vice versa, which sounds truly collaborative. And when you're on the road, uh, do you travel a lot? Are you on the road a lot? No, not... Music-wise. Not for a while. Not so much, especially with, you know, with COVID and stuff, you know, we're hermits. Because it was just before COVID, we were like, right, we're going to stop touring for a bit and focus on recording. So um, I think we're just starting back gigging this year, really. Yeah. Are you able to find time to write on the road? Do you like to write on the road or is it really sort of performance and then creation are quite separate? Or is it really difficult to answer that question? I think where there's an instrument, you're always going to be writing. I I find that um i generally don't need to write like have a space yeah if we if we decide okay we're going to write now then mm. I, then something will come out so don't necessarily have to be writing all the time wherever we are mm. um it would just be we'll go out enjoy life absorb it all and then when we decide we're going to go and sit down and write in the studio or wherever mm. it it behaves to us. <laughs> it comes. But it doesn't even have to be a scheduled. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's literally we're, the, just, we're in control. It's literally just when you're holding an instrument, you know, things yeah. happen. And as long as you sort of capture those moments, we're, you're always on hand with the oh, yeah, uh, We tried a little bit. We're always writing lyrics, actually. Any idea for a mm, lyric, we'll put true. that down. Do you, do, you, do you ever suffer from writer's block? No. It's not, it's not, not hitters yet. yet. Yeah. <laughs> no. How, how how did lock, lockdown affect you? It sounds like it's almost came at the, the right sort of time, really. You you happened to, you repositioned your life to cope. I, I mean, it was lucky because we didn't have loads of gigs on because we we just said you know we're going to spend some time writing and recording and just making the creative process the thing that we're focused on right now. So it was kind of we yeah. were quite lucky in that respect. I do think the landscape of music mm. changed, not even, I mean, gigging was the obvious one, but there were ones that gradually hit us that 
I wouldn't have expected. Like, um, I think Spotify did some serious cleaning house, taking people off of some of their big editorial playlists, which, which really hit us hard. Um, and um, yeah, just bit, bits like that. Like, um, yeah, I think it's it's got even more difficult than it than it was before mm. to to break through as kind of independent or self released artist now. Um, but you know we're, we're always we're, ever since the beginning we've had to keep evolving and trying to find the next way of creatively getting heard without like a huge budget. Mm. It's like the pressures of running any running any business, isn't it? You know you've got to worry about getting the work in again. Yeah. Um, but then at least you're in control. Which yeah, is exactly. Good. We're control freaks. We are. <laughs> What what are the things you I think well actually I don't know not not only are you running your own business and writing and making music and playing music but you've also you're you're podcasters as well um, do you want to talk a little bit about that because um, because that was part we we thought oh we've got we've got writers on our when we wanted to do podcasts I wonder if they'll do one for us <laughs> but what's the what, we had listened to your one we really enjoyed it do you want to explain to people what that one is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was one of the elements of us evolving through uh, through the pandemic. I guess mm-hmm. we, um, as a, as another form of reaching people and and also just sharing our absolute passion for music, we can't get away from it. I, I put music on to put to choose what shoes I'm going to wear, or you know, it's always there. Music is always um, in this house. If it's if the, the house is quiet, that's weird. What music? What music do you put on to get your shoes on? Oh, it's different every time. Sometimes it could take longer to choose the track that I'm gonna put my <laughs> shoes onto than it does to just go and get my shoes. Um, but but <laughs> but you used to make me playlists. I think like well, not playlists, like compilations. So you used to do like yeah, every Christmas I'd yeah. do one, didn't I? And well, I used to get them every Christmas and birthday. It's now it then sort of sunk down to just Christmas. Not that I'm complaining or anything, but. Um, <laughs> Slacking. Um, so yeah, I think it, it was born from that, really. Yes, I guess it is an extension of that. So, uh, with with the plays I used to do for Paula, I used to call it the Hunter series, yeah. and I tried to scour the internet for things that she won't have heard, that we won't have listened to together, um, more obscure stuff that's not on the radio or anything, mm. and that would be the thing. And I think that's evolved into what is now the Daydream Club Presents mm. podcast where it's the same principle. We're scouring the internet for stuff that is not necessarily on the radio or getting pushed. Um, more of like a discovery yeah. uh, podcast. Occasionally we'll play it because we do, we do features as well. So impossible favourite feature that, that is, is uh, normally a big artist where, you like, know, there's so many tracks, but you have to just choose one. Choose one from the back catalogue and then and we flip really a coin hard. to see who gets to play their choice. And- um, give us an example. Give us an example of a, an impossible choice you've made on your podcast so far. The Beatles. We haven't, we haven't done, done the that. Beatles yet. That's a bit but too hard. We, we have... also couldn't go near Prince yet, and we um, did we do we did uh, Kate Bush recently actually. That was the last. But b- before it was on Stranger Things. Yeah, we each choose a favorite. Often, it's it's really hard to get one. Sometimes, if you're really struggling to get one, we'll go, go two, and then have like tell each other our two, and normally. If one's the same, we'll sort of have what that one as one, and then you know toss yeah. up about the the next one. Uh, Bjork um, was a difficult Bjork one for me. Hard. Radiohead as well. That oh, was so, that was solid. so hard. That was so hard. Can I tell tell you what I did on holiday last year when I was bored? I wrote down every single song covered by the Beatles, 
And then, and then I think there was something like 32. And then I arranged them into like a playoff. So there were 16 matches of one song versus another, which I randomly drew out. And I spent an afternoon listening to each of those songs and putting them through to the last 16. And then a quarter final, then a semi final, and then a final. And it was, um, you've, re- you've really got a hold on me, which was an old Smokey Robinson song, versus Twist and Shout, the old Isley Brothers song. And, and, and you've really got a hold on me, won on the day. It was an amazing victory because Twist and Shout were like the Man United of the tournament and um, they didn't win. Very sad. Uh, you're supposed to relax on holiday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I found our list anyway. So Bjork we was Undo, which I think is that off was, of, um, is it Vespertine? That was your choice, wasn't it? I yeah. think you're, you won the Toyn cost. The Toyn cost. Ah, oh, Spoonerism. Always, Spoonerism. Always does that. I'm full of Spoonerisms. That always happens on the podcast. It's, it's a really bad one. And because we do a coin toss each episode, I'm always, uh, <laughs> I'm always Toyn cossing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think I heard recently, um, Heads has a higher chance of winning a coin toss. So I'm wondering if you're winning more. How is that the, possible? Because it's slightly weightier. Yes. It's slightly more weight on, on the king side, on the head side than on the tail side. It's 0.00001 or something. It does, it's not exactly 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's just one of the features anyway, and it, it keeps, you, keeps you going for ages. Yeah, we, so, so there's... there's you know, well-known. We also do like, may the source be with you where we go, like something's been sampled or covered and we try and find the source and we also reverse it with hot sauce when the, what's that one? That's that's the the one that's used the. Oh yeah. So that's like playing like a hip hop track that sampled something. Yeah. So we have fun. We do have fun. We entertain ourselves. (laughs) So you've done a couple for Wise Choice already, haven't you? You've been very ahead of the game. Do you want to tell us about what what will the first one be, do we think? Um, Minnie Ripperton. Yeah, Minnie Ripperton. Oh, she's amazing. Yes. And some really interesting connections leading through, like, her history of music and and then link into like other artists as well. And in such a short space of time, really, when you boil it all down, you know, she did so much in such a short space. Mm. I've, I've heard that. We, we, as, as we're recording this, we're kind of queuing them up, ready to ready to start releasing them, and um, it's a great episode. So, wise choice. And where where will you find wise choice? It's everywhere where podcasts are. Mm. Um, yeah, your, just your, your streaming favorite, platform, your of, platform choice. of choice. Yes, your platform of choice. Yes. <laughs> we, have we advertised that enough? Wise choice, starring the Daydream Club next week. Um, you'll have to go and look for it. You, you, obviously, you'll subscribe to this one, please. Composing myself, please do because that really helps. Um, and then, if you can find Wise Choice, subscribe to that one as well. Um, I think we've advertised it enough. But what's next for the Daydream Club? Have you got plans for the immediate future and the the next phase? Yeah. So um, we're having fun at the minute. Uh, we're sort of. We've started a, a, a big project, project, haven't we? Yeah. Which we've called Songstream. Um, basically, we're we're writing four or five different albums at once, mm. um, but not necessarily releasing them as albums. So as we finish a track for whichever album, we'll release it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you follow our Songstream, it might be quite random because there might be an ambient track and then a, an acoustic track or 
uh, more of an electronic thing, but they're all working towards cohesive albums Mm. that will eventually be released when they're finished. But rather than keep everyone waiting and keep us inspired by doing different sounds, Mm. we release each one as we go. Yeah. Um, Within that as well, there's a really nice element I'm quite proud of. Um, So we've offered personalised songs to our fans or anyone who wants one. Um, And they're writing to us from all over the world, telling us stories from their life or about an amazing person or anything. And and then if we're we're keeping hold of all of them and if we're inspired by any of them and decide to write a song... Mm. then we'll let them know and they'll get this personalised song. And we've had some amazing we have had some heartwarming really... and heartbreaking stories yeah. that we've started writing. But this is what I mean, there's, there's no lack of inspiration in life, I think, if, you are, if you're open to it. Yeah, there's, yeah. it's everywhere. And have you started releasing those yet? Yeah. No, we haven't. Re- well, we started releasing song stream ones. Yeah, yes. Uh, um, sorry. Yeah. Dispute. We did a we did a fun cover of um, "This Will Be Our Year" by the Zombies, which will be part of an album called "Got It Covered" eventually. Yeah. Um, which is a wise music song. It is. Yeah. It is. And we wanted to try and make that cover different to any other version that's out there. So that was our mission with that one. Yeah. And that's on Spotify now. I can see that. And that, I've. I've played that myself several times. That that yeah. was also in the Shazam charts, wasn't it? I think we were top fifty in the Shazam Island charts. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's done all right, that one. Um we've got another cover lined up from the Wise catalogue, but we'll we'll keep that one close to our chest for now, I think. I mean we've got so many songs that are already recorded or we're yeah. working on um that we'll be rolling out as, as soon as we can. But summer's always a funny time for releasing music. Mm. So we we're just eased off a little bit enjoying the sun and then we'll we're going to kick back in probably september time aren't we with yeah. releasing was the, the last single that you've got on spotify is we begin is that is that one of them yeah yeah that's uh, an ambient one so, so that that will be part of a whole ambient album um which we're wanting to play with a bit with that so we're sort of collaborating again between dance and music so well see all this time all these years that we've been the daydream club since 2010 over a decade i've been trying to get paula to dance in our music videos but she never would it's she really refused. hard though she refused when, me when you've been a level and then you've had an injury and you come back and you're always going to be comparing yourself to, or at least i'm really competitive so i'm always comparing myself to that level and i think you know i'm getting older <laughs> and I just think, well, I just have to do it now. I just have to sort of embrace where I'm at. And um, yeah, but well, that video move. was really nice. Oh, it was really nice. We went nice. up north to, to where Paula's from, near the near the beach. And mm. um, where are you both from? So I'm from Leicester. I'm from a place called Red Car Racecourse. There you go, Red Car Racecourse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we parked ourselves on the beach there, and um, I, I I was filming this time, and Paula was just improvising dance to to the track, and mm. we just saw what came out and between us it, it was felt really like a, nice it was a really nice conversation nice moment. yeah like in terms of movement and yeah video is really 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 beautiful actually and yeah it made me mad that I hadn't agreed <laughs> yeah. sooner yeah so we hope to do more of that so, with yeah. the other ambient releases that we have planned. it's gonna be good are you playing live anywhere yeah so that's why we're going down near Brighton aren't we so we're doing Folking in the Strawberries which is uh I think it's like a, a uh, acoustic uh, festival it is isn't it? it is in on a strawberry farm so i think we're getting loads of strawberries for that as well yeah i think we're, and, and then we thought we'd make a little holiday of it and continue down at brighton and have a, a bit of time yeah. and then if uh, 
if all flights are okay oh, and yes. the world is open, we'll be playing in, in Hamburg for Reaper Barn Festival. Yeah. yeah. And that will be the first time we'll be doing the ambient stuff live, actually. So we've we'll figured a, out a way. A mix to, of classical and ambient. To using like electronics and pads to be so able to do some of it live. Really, really fun. The set really exciting um brilliant i think i think that's that's a great start thank you for your time um both for doing the wise wise choice series which is a, it's a, a real treat a treat we've you, you've called it digital crate digging which i think is brilliant it's going through our our catalog of sort of great songs and finding some gems and nuggets and then just throwing them up in the air and considering them their story how they connect to the things um, it's a real, a real joy. The first one that I've heard, um, and thank you for your time today as the first, first writers on our composing myself series. So, Adam and Paula Pickering of the Daydream Daydream Club. Mm-hmm.